to reasonable doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we're all drinking drugged Nescafe. Mm. I'm not sure on that reference to that one. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, Ada Grand Rapids, and W237CZ Hudsonville, 1680 AM and 95.3 FM, or streaming at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher, with me in the studio, my fellow Doubtcaster, and someone who has not been following Muammar Gaddafi's tweets, Dr. Professor Luke Galen. I guess I'm not on his list. Did, did you not I see where he, he blamed the Libyan uprising on um, drugged Nescafe? I didn't know it was Nescafe. Specifically mentioned drugged Nescafe, wow. yes. Jeremy Bean is still off. He's currently laying low in Lima, working both sides of the borderline. So, filling in his seat... <laughs> Is our answer to Sarah Chalk, Mr. Justin Schieber. Hey, everybody. Sarah Chalk. Look it up. <laughs> In this episode, we've got a skeptic Sunday school. We've got some God thinks like you to test your mental stability and immortality. And an enlightening polyatheism. First off, uh, here on the show, we often offer praise to those who deserve it and heap scorn on those who need it. And we call that the props or shit list. We also have a segment we like to call Stranger Than Fiction, where we take a look at a news story so ridiculous it's hard to believe. In looking through news stories for this show, I ran across a whole bunch of stuff that falls into one or more of these categories. They're not mutually exclusive. No, they are not. <laughs> so I'm going to put it to you guys, my fellow doubtcasters here, as to um, what each of these stories is, good, bad, or just plain absurd. Uh, the first one, which will probably be fairly uncontroversial here in this room, Rock Beyond Belief has been canceled. It's yes. beyond belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this definitely lands itself on the shit list. Rock Beyond Belief, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this event, was going to be at Fort Bragg, the military base. Ed Brayton, friend of the show, uh, was going to be involved with it. I believe he was going to emcee it even. Really? Yeah. Richard Dawkins had signed on to be the keynote speaker. With they his had, band? With his band. <laughs> they had a bunch of bands, and it was... Um, the punctuated equilibria. <sighs> nice. <laughs> uh, it was being done as um, kind of a response to a Billy Graham event that was held at Fort Bragg um, as well. And, of course, given that this is the U.S. military and we have a little thing called the separation of church and state, they can't favor one religion over another. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. And as we've talked about many times on the show before, that's not the way the military actually works. Right. And according to the, the Republic article that I have here, uh, the, the military was willing to pay $54,000 towards the Christian event, but right. that but completely decline, declined to cover any any costs for the Rock Beyond Belief event. Right, right. Did they give any rationale as to the distinction? Oh, no. And, well, and, <laughs> and they not. had originally said that they would give equal to support right. to this as they did to the Billy Graham event, and they have, not surprisingly, changed their mind. So this is incredibly disappointing and Absolutely predictable, now, too. I would predict what they're going to do is then say we can't offer money for every little, every small segment thing that right. we just draw for you. You know, should we give the, uh, you know, the Hare Krishnas an event or something like that? That's right. probably they, what they would they, do. I don't think a lot changed... of Hare Krishnas in the military, but but I take your point, yes. <laughs> they changed the location of the event at the last minute to uh, two indoor theaters. And the larger one accommodating only about 700 people. Yeah, it was supposed to be a big so, outdoor right, right. event. So they had to cancel all the all their, all their activities, and so they right. you know might as well have to cancel the whole thing if they exactly. can't really do anything. Because they got shoved into a, a very small, right, little space. And 
Uh, of course, lawsuits are pending because there's um, oh, yeah. a number of issues at play as, here. As they very well should be. Now, I have no problem with the military <laughs> saying that they can't do rock beyond belief if they also say, mm-hmm. no, Billy Graham, you can't come, yep. no, Hare Krishna, whatever. You know, If they say, we're not going to do events of a religious nature for, against, or anything in between – that's that's fine. Right. But this the Billy Graham event was designed specifically to evangelize exactly. to the military and to uh to the you know the public who's gonna come into yeah. the event. Which should be completely off limits. Right. But, uh. Because as we know, converting more people to Christ causes them to uh become more supportive of military type <laughs> right. of that's adventures right. for whatever <laughs> become, reason. Become more efficient to their very very Do you accept the Prince of Peace? I do. <laughs> okay now uh here's, here's an, an M sixteen and we're gonna go Soldiers for Christ. Uh, now, now here's another story. Um, I'm not sure where to group this one. <laughs> Fetuses to testify in Ohio. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I, uh, you know, they, they want to have this uh, this law that to pass that says that uh, you're going to have to, um, you know, once we can detect a heartbeat, yes, then you know we then, the then abortion, that makes you a person, right? Then yep. you, you cannot abort it. Um, but and so they're going to have this. They're going to actually have the ultrasound in the in the actual courtroom. Is that how? Yes, it's? two pregnant women, um, and I believe this actually already happened um, as of the the time of recording. One oh, nine weeks pregnant and one eleven weeks pregnant hmm. um, had ultrasounds in in court. So that's uh, the that's the test that's the testifying. That's the testimony. I don't know if I trust. Raise nine his weeks little old. hand. Uh, raise <laughs> his little hand when he attests. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, not only does it not um, have a hand at that point, <laughs> I'm not sure gender is even established. It's certainly not something we could. Yeah. We if it's could not detect. sworn in, I'm not going to trust that. That's right. I yeah. can't. <laughs> they can't put its hand on a Bible. <laughs> so I mean, this is this is uh, stranger than fiction. Obviously, I mm. mean, we have fetuses testifying in court. The other thing that leads me to think this belongs on the shit list is not only are they having fetuses testify in court for a a really unscientific law. Mm -hmm. As soon as it has a heartbeat, it's a person. Fish have heartbeats. (laughs) Well, you get cardiac tissue and put it in a Petri dish and it starts to self-organize. It's it's incredibly philosophically naive. Right, right. But the other thing is they actually – the same judge banned – abortion supporters from testifying. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, by the way, the people with the, another opinion can't Cause testify. Because they don't have a heartbeat? Right. Except, well, they're not real people. They oh. have no heart, oh. clearly. But uh, a nine-week-old fetus is allowed to. And this is uh, – well, Ohio is a mess all over right now. This mm. is just one more right. It used to be that you'd have them. to – you had to actually impersonate the fetus. I don't know if you heard John Edwards was famous as a defense attorney for actually – taking the jury back into the womb. It was like a poisoning <laughs> case or some toxic case where he's like, imagine that you're the baby trying to be born. And he went, you know, so he, well, he actually he impersonated, but he wasn't. You know. Yeah, in case there's any confusion, uh, Janet Porter, president of Faith to Action, claims that the fetus will be the youngest ever to testify. Oh, God. So, uh, you know, <laughs> in case that's... Uh... Wow. So this is this is also for the Guinness Book of World Records right. is what uh, really the stunt here is. I for. am going to go beyond it and put a neuron on trial <laughs> and, have, and have the little electrodes record it spiking. And so when it goes zap, zap, then I'll be... That, that's, yes. Now, now, not to quibble here, but didn't Monica Lewinsky's blue dress testify in the uh, impeachment well, hearing? Well, technically the it was the glove. DNA or... on the dress that that's uh, right right okay yeah. mr nucleotide so i i call <laughs> shenanigans on the fetus being the youngest thing ever to uh, testify <laughs> in a uh, more horrifying story vatican admits uh to a study that says priests have been raping nuns to avoid prostitutes with aids i don't even know where to start with that mm. <clears throat> wow um okay to be fair at least um, there are no children involved with this story. So right. the Catholic Church can admit to it, I guess, is what it's what it comes down to. And, and, and the Catholic Church, props to them, are confirming that right. this is a real problem. Yeah, they're not they're – not, uh... They're not denying it. They're not making up – well, I'm sure they're making up excuses for it. But um, this is – this is awful. I mean, can you imagine anything worse? Yeah, in, in one of the cases uh, in which uh, one of the African sisters, it's, this is mainly taking place in Africa, is where most right. of these, uh, I think there's like 
Uh, yeah, 23 countries, 23 countries most yes. of them being in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of the cases, uh, an African sister was forced to actually have an abortion, which is very strange. Yeah. Uh, and, and she actually dies during the operation. And the uh, forced to have an, probably an unsanitary abortion after being raped by a priest. Right, and the aggressor priest yes. was the one to uh, give the the funeral. Wow. Yeah. S- saves costs. This is, that this way is from. I'm just. I'm reading this God. from the Independent here. Yeah. Uh, that kind of blows my mind. It's a truly horrifying story, and this. Um, I don't know if it's getting the kind of press that that it merits because this is. This is a big deal. The Catholic Church in Africa has a lot to account for, and uh, this is certainly one more thing to throw on the pile. Just uh, just shooting from the hip here, I don't know if you guys have seen the story here uh, in the United States of the Catholic priests being videotaped in the drunk tank going on a tirade. No, I haven't seen seen that. It's on CNN. I just saw it last night, but there's a – I think he was a Catholic priest, although it's of a – like a – Ukrainian uh, uh, ethnic church, but he got busted for DUI and blew a point two, and was in the drunk tank. And apparently, after he made some sort of thing, they decided to videotape him just to be on the safe side. And there was like a twenty—you can watch a twenty-minute r- drunken rant where he integrates elements of theology and booze wow. and sex. Oh, and you could—he's uh, <clears throat> entering rehab though. But I didn't uh, know Charlie Sheen was a priest. <laughs> <laughs> the immediate thing I thought was yes, you know, he, Charlie Sheen will play him in the movie in a bit of method acting. <laughs> Oh, oh, speaking of people uh, self-destructing, another story here. Uh, Anti-gay pastor caught masturbating in his car outside of a playground. Yeah, and he won't he won't admit to this. What he'll say (laughs) is that um, he was he was he couldn't hold it. So he was urinated in a bottle. Right, right. That's what he was saying is that he initially his the report says that. He was claiming that, oh, and he wasn't masturbating, he had to urinate, and rather than get out of the car and walk, walk to, to the uh, bathroom, uh, you know, he, he grabbed a bottle and, and pulled a dumb and dumber. That's what, that's what I do. Right. If I need, if I need to urinate, but I'm then, not uh, even trying to get to a bathroom, I'm looking for a cup. But then uh, I, I heard on the radio somewhere that an actual audio recording of yes. this guy saying that, no, that wasn't the case. He, but he, he won't admit to masturbating. Right. It was just that he had his hands down his pants. Yes, he said my <laughs> hands were in my pants. It's a parking lot. With his car facing any. a carousel. What and... would you do? It's a parking lot right next to a kids park. Yeah, oh, and, and, and this is the guy who leads, who has led protests in uh, New Orleans French Quarter mm-hmm. um, against decadence. Yes, all really, the, all the gay pride parades yeah. down there. Yeah, so... It, I mean, you can... We, we we really need to organize it, like, through throughout the past of all the anti-gay and, and morality pastors and, like, just have an ongoing linear thing because we, we busted... You know, when the dude got busted with the airport with the... Yep, the Larry young Craig. Age, no, yeah, oh, the airport bathroom, but I mean the guy who flew to Europe with his yes, young escort yes, yes, here. Yes. I forgot his yeah, name. I'm, th- I'm blanking on it, Right, too. the... Uh, the um, what was it? The the something boy dot com rent boy. Yeah, rent boy dot com. <laughs> he was lifting his luggage. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this just goes all the way back, even from the eighties. You know, with the with oh, the sure. you know the the uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Swagger. Tam- Jimmy Swaggart and the Bake uh, and and Ted Haggard in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, we. It's almost like you know uh, that that there's being in a major evangelist who's anti-gay mm-hmm. somehow st- I have to compute the statistics. Like yeah. increases your chance of later being busted with you know masturbating yeah. oh, in a certainly. van by a certain amount. Yeah, well, the intensity with which you are anti-gay is directly <laughs> proportional to. Well, and to be fair, this guy isn't necessarily gay. He was masturbating, looking at children. <laughs> so right. I stand. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, if there are any listeners out there with musical skill, I would love theme music for the uh, hypocrisy watch or, yes. or whatever you want to call this. Because, yeah, it happens a lot. And I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. And keep it vague so it can cover everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anytime you go on national television and you talk about the evils of homosexuality, we should basically assume that that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Either either as yep. gay or some kind of a deviant sexuality because that seems to be the case. Yeah, it should be assumed by. <laughs> yeah, by association. Are we gonna do a special after. segment on politicians because I want to be able to. I'm at the front of the line with the Newt Gingrich thing with the, the oh, uh, with the uh, his role in the Monica Lewinsky trials while he was divorcing his wife on her who was dying dying of cancer. At the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. You know what? If you're concerned with Newt Gingrich's past. You're looking in the wrong direction. You should be worried about Newt Gingrich's future. 
which is what he recently told someone who questioned him about that very thing. Um, Hey, speaking of uh, politics, which I know every time we do, the libertarians and the conservatives get angry at us. We're going to get mail. They're going to always get mail. This isn't really necessarily politics, though. Uh, Mike Huckabee, who is a potential presidential candidate... In and bass 2012. player. And bass, bass player? Yep. Yeah. Really? He plays bass. Yep. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> he, to his credit, like I, I would put Mike Huckabee on the props list for in the past when people, the, the Obama birthers, mm. the people who claim right. Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States, you know, we have to see his birth certificate, which we've seen. Okay. Um, people question it. Mike Huckabee has been one of the few staunch conservatives saying, you know what, Th- that is just wasting our time. Right. This is foolish. Why are we talking about this stuff? Well, somehow until, he's changed his tune. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, Luke, uh, what was it that Mike Huckabee said most recently? Uh, well, he uh, in in the interview he discussed how Obama's childhood was spent differently than you and I, in that when other people are in Boy Scouts and such, that Obama was in madrasas. Yeah. And uh, in and that Kenya. he was raised in Kenya. In Kenya, yeah. So uh, and that he claimed that that was just a gaffe that he didn't mean to say that because he knows he was in Hawaii. But then at the, in was in the a, same show a Hawaiian madras. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> they have those. They right? teach them st- you know lap guitar with a slide. <laughs> <laughs> But then he also said that that what formulated Obama's identity was the uh, historicity of him growing up with the the uprising against the British. Yes. Right. What was it? The Mau Mau's or the yeah, uh, yeah. Mau Mau Rebellion, which in, is in Kenya, not in, in Kenya. Hawaii. Yep. Yes. Yes. And also, um, Mike Huckabee talked about the influence that um, his Muslim father would have had on Barack Obama. And of right. course, we he know... He didn't really even know his father. Know his he father. visited his father, uh, I think, in his 20s. In fact, Barack Obama, I believe, wrote two books outlining how little he knew his father. So, uh, no, Dave, they would have been called Faith of My Absent Father, not Faith of My Absent Father. Ooh, oh, well, no, he's probably see. an atheist. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, callback. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so clearly it wasn't just a gaffe. That was just something he said to cover himself. But I think yeah. what's, what's more concerning about... Um, What's Huckabee has a history, I think, of some hypocrisy type behavior. Uh, and he is a minister, of course, as a which we, we cannot forget. Um, he, was, he also promotes those covenant marriages, which are yes. other marriages are just marriage light. But covenant marriages are really hard to get right. out of. So it forces so, people who, yeah, that's always... who probably want to leave immediately to remain true. And yep. So this is not uh, the first instance of hypocrisy with Mike Huckabee. He was also uh, – he's a reverend and he was uh, the governor of Arkansas. Yep. And um, as governor of Arkansas, he granted clemency to uh, a young man who had been arrested for robbery. And he, he did this for very specific reasons, not because the sentence was too harsh, but because the young man appealed to his Christianity, right? Yes, so we have letters where the the man used uh, this Clemens used a lot of language of conversion and Christianity in prison. He used a lot of God talk to say that he has turned over a new leaf, and we have evidence that this was influential on Huckabee uh, too, because one of the the judges also that advocated for this man was a, himself a, a minister, uh, and so there's a lot of you know uh, there's a lot of evidence I think that Huckabee was swayed by religious type rhetoric uh, in his. You know, in his act of clemency. Right. And Hmm. here's um, a quote from the uh, New York Times article about this. This young man claimed he was a model prisoner. In fact, he'd been disciplined 29 times. Had Huckabee checked with prosecutors, prison guards or victims, he would have found grave concerns about letting Clemens, who's the name of the the young man, he got clemency, (laughs) uh, loose on the community. The prison system risk assessment categorized him as, quote, most likely to return to violence. Yeah, it wasn't oh, just wow. that he didn't really do anything uh, with good behavior. He was actively involved in things like right. r- extortion and racketeering and sex yep. rings and drugs. Yes. Particularly nasty individual. But his letters overflowed with talk of God and being And he had, he had a minister on his side. And he had a minister and, on his side. And to be fair, the, when he was sentenced for unarmed burglary, he was given a 108-year sentence, right, which right. is, I think, probably a little a over the much. top. <laughs> 
<laughs> but this young man was then released by Huckabee because of his appeals to his religiosity. Right. And sadly, in late 2009, this young man murdered four police officers yeah. oh, who were geez. sitting drinking their morning coffee. He walked into a coffee shop and, and shot up the place. But I think that's the thing that bothers me most. It's probably not just with this case with Huckabee, and it's probably not even just Huckabee, but uh, I would imagine in a lot of criminal systems. I think I talked about on the on the show before studies that have been done experimentally that shows that if you have a mock jury who oh, sure. judging yes. sentences and the person says they had a conversion, they're much likely they're more likely to get a right. lenient sentence. I believe we talked that about our our uh, prison episode. Yeah, and so I think that's the thing that bothers me most about that is is that is that clearly you know predicting. I'm not saying that Huckabee is responsible for directly for shooting the people. But of why course. is it that that sort of testimony should matter? Right. I mean, you link it to the behavior. If you've got, been a model prisoner, that counts. If you haven't, right. then it doesn't. But why do we even take into account, well, he's turned his life over to God. It just right. shouldn't yeah. even matter. It, right. He didn't check with the prison guards, or if he did check with the prison guards, obviously that didn't mean as much as these letters. Yeah, where he, that's, that's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> you're right. That is That's a... Frustrating fact that that is such an important factor in a lot of a lot of paroles and uh, just like I can I can uh, divorce my wife as she's dying of cancer, but then say I'm converted to Christianity for my new wife. Oh wait, I'm still back on Gingrich. Sorry. <laughs> Conversions are basically ga- uh, a reset button for your life. That's right. Yeah, it's a get out of jail free card. Now we have here, and this is I think this is a prop story, and it's weird because it's a prop story that involves. Both the Westboro Baptist Church, Fred Phelps, and the U.S. Supreme Court. These are not two groups that I'm really generally inclined to offer any props to. And I'm not offering props to Westboro. But the Supreme Court, I think, did the right thing here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fred Phelps finally got his day in court. Um, He was sued for one of his funeral protests. Well, not him specifically, but the Westboro Baptist Church was sued for a protest outside a soldier's funeral, a soldier who was not gay. For hurtful language, I think. Hurtful language, is. yes. And they they had their usual signs, and they were standing right outside a school, by the way, when they were doing the protest. Mm. Um, the father didn't see them at the funeral, but he was looking at the coverage He heard about it on the news afterwards. And he saw the pictures. Right. Yes. And was very upset, as everyone right. basically understands that he would be. Right, yes. right. But the Supreme Court ruled that, in fact... You do have a right to protest at funerals, um, protect, and they protected hate speech, which we talked about on the show before. If the freedom of speech is not there for unpopular speech, right, what's then, the point? Exactly. As much as we we can't stand <laughs> hearing about those protests, uh, yeah. we we all know that it, it's much more worth it to allow it because of the the benefit we get from from the freedom right. of speech. So. Right. If, if we said, okay, no, you can't do this because we don't like it. Right. Well, then how long is it till we yeah. can't do and who our gets podcast? The, who gets the authority to decide exactly. you know, what, yeah. what is hateful? What... And it was an eight to one. The only one who uh, who voted against was Alito. Alito, yeah. who, who thought it was, um, I guess, extreme enough mm. that, that it didn't warrant free speech, which not surprisingly Alito – was opposed to free speech. Um, but, you know, and I was talking about this with my, my wife and our older kids the other day and because our 14-year-old had, had, it had come up at school and they said, you know, what do you think about this? And she said, well, no, I don't think they should be protesting. And I said, well, but how about the freedom of speech? I hate these people. And that's, that's a word that I right. – I use intentionally. You These hate are... those people as much as God hates fags. Exactly. Well, more so because I exist. Um, <laughs> I hate these people. I think they're despicable. I think what they do is disgusting. I think the best thing we can do is not continue to give them press, yep. which I guess is what yep. we're doing right now. So, you know, yeah. take some of my own medicine. <laughs> but I said, I cannot imagine a possible scenario where I would want to protest at a funeral. But I think that right should be there. And then my wife pointed out, and I think she's right, we should protest Fred Phelps's funeral. Oh, oh there will be. I can guarantee oh. that. There's going to be a lot of protests. I'm taking the family. We're going. Cause he's, he's, we should record an episode right there. Yeah, totally. He's old. He is filled with hate. This man is going to die yep. fairly soon. And when he does, 
we're going to Kansas because I want to be there. Holding it, and I, I'm not sure what that sign will say just yet. But it's going to be something really witty, and it's going to be neon. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> they, do have, they do have well-crafted signs. You have to give them that, people. <laughs> they do. They with do. With the colors. You know, that's, maybe I'm just a nerd, but when I was listening to this story in my mind, I was plotting out what my poster would say, and it would be things like – it would be a graph of like – each country's – this is just me. Each country's tolerance of homosexuals <laughs> on one – and then the number of natural disasters and the age, like, life expectancy. So I'd have, like, Amsterdam, you know, with all kinds of gays and then have, like, you know, longest lived people in Sweden. Yeah. And then I'd have Kansas and Oklahoma, the tolerance of gays way low and then, like, tornado deaths. And so I would prefer to let the empiricism do the talking and say, like a whole really, bunch of grass. does God hate the, the toler- – the country's uh, – the area's tolerance of gays is related to him zapping people? Really? Yeah. Let's map that out. But you know what? Because Fred Phelps fought for our right to protest funerals, I think we should honor him by protesting his funeral. So yep. um, die soon, and uh, we'll see you then. Um, <laughs> you know what? And I, I almost apologized. I almost said, no, that's an awful thing to say. And, and then no, you didn't. No, we're going to title the podcast, Die Soon with Dave Fletcher. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in less horrific news here. Um, there's a new translation of the Bible coming out. And the news story about this, the headline everywhere has been how they're taking the word booty out of the Bible. Mm. I would love to have been in the pitch meeting for like CNN, like we need a headline for the Bible translation. <laughs> how about uh, let's use like, you know, the, the name donkey has been changed from ass. No, no, no. What can we use? Uh a booty? <laughs> That's what caught my yeah, eye. Beyonce is 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 upset. She here. is furious. <laughs> um, well, and I have to say, it, it, obviously, I mean, the joke is easy. They're changing it be, so young children won't giggle at the word booty anymore. But I, I think there's actually more to it than that because booty is something we associate with not just Beyonce, but with pirates, right? Arr. It's something that I'm you ransack and you you take booty. So they're changing right. it to spoils of war, which, which I think the attempt is not so much to end the snickering as it is to make it make sound it more better. righteous, right. you know? And let's face it, in the Old Testament, there's plenty of instances of the uh, Israelites taking their spoils, spoils of, war of war from their right. defeated and slaughtered like, people, Jericho, yes. or the Like young women of, who have not been with a man. The people of Ai. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes, let's kill them and take their booty. So I think I think there's much more to it than just the the funny headline. But the real headline, I think, is another big change they're making in this translation. Justin, uh, why don't yeah, you tell us about it? in Isaiah seven fourteen? Uh, they translate they're they're translating what used to be virgin to young woman, correct? Yes. Yes, and uh, which is a more we, accurate yes. translation? Yeah, yeah, of right? Hebrew. because it's of actually. Hebrew. Used six other times in the mm-hmm. Hebrew scriptures, and all these times translate it to young woman or maiden. Right. And we uh, should contextualize that, that this is often the passage that Christians point to that oh, prophesied yeah. Jesus coming because the prophecy stated that there would be uh, a man to a of a young woman born. Right, which is really weird because if you keep reading uh, past that, uh, past 714 Isaiah, uh, and you go, you read 15 and 16, it says, He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right mm. uh, in in the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So this has a kind of a – it throws a monkey wrench in traditional Christology at least. Right. Um, so if they want to claim that that's – that that is uh, – well, Matthew does at least to claim that that's mm. the reason why he wants to uh, say that Jesus is, is born of a virgin, he's got – He's got some other issues to deal with before he does that. Now, yeah, this, to be fair, in the Septuagint, the word is used parthenos, hmm. uh, and they say that this this means uh, virgin. The Hebrew yes. is alma or something, it's, right. uh, and that's supposed to mean young woman, presumably uh, unmarried, but a young right, woman right. was when they translated the Hebrew into the Greek, it became parthenos, which is the virgin, which specifically is virgin. a virgin. Yes. Right, right. But the, the And parthenogenesis means virgin birth. Indeed. Right, right. But some people will say that, oh, the Parthenos, this this actually means young woman. But it's actually used in, in Genesis 34 verses 2 through 4, and it's definitely not talking about a virgin. It's talking about a rape victim. Oh. So that's not entirely... Right. Um, so, so the word showing up in a context where it's clear they're not using it to mean virgin, but right. using it to mean young woman. So that's the that's the one other reference. So I mean, they don't really have any. So a lot of the, the emphasis right. in the in the new 
test in the Gospels on Jesus specifically being a virgin was contained only in Luke, I believe. Not Jesus being a virgin. I'm sorry, that's uh, important Mary too. being born of a virgin was specifically in Luke, right? And that was the one uh, most Greek speakers would be familiar with right. Luke. And so, if you're, in other words, if you're a non-Jewish, uh, non-Hebrew person, you would be reading the Old Testament in its Greek Septuagint version, reading presumably Parthenos, would mm-hmm. mean that you would then you would also be reading and Luke fashioned Luke and Matt fashioned infancy stories you know because Mark didn't have right, them right. Uh, and then Luke was the only one where she specifically mentioned to be a to have the miraculous birth of the spirit so one of the reasons that many people think that the the mistranslation is important is mm-hmm. that the author of whoever the author of Luke is wanted to weave it into oh she was a virgin i got to think up some story and of course if you're a greek right. you're all into virgin births because all the gods are you know right. exactly and of course birth. paul knew nothing of this he talks about how jesus was born of young woman but never mentions the virgin birth we don't hear of it right. in mark we don't hear of the virgin birth until you know 50 years after because Paul's letters were written before the Gospels. So oh yeah, they were yeah. written around like I think fifties or so. Yeah, fifties. And uh, we don't hear about the virgin birth until Matthew, our, our second Gospel, which mm-hmm. is I think usually dated around eighty. I think something yeah. like that. eighty and ninety were okay. Matt and Luke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, a it's a mistranslation that goes back centuries upon centuries from the mm-hmm. sound of it. And of course, I mean the <laughs> other the other part here. Um, when you're using this verse in Isaiah as a example of fulfilled prophecy in the New Testament, that falls apart because that's not actually what the prophecy right. is about. It's making a reference about... to a current event at the time of yes. Isaiah. Exactly. As most prophecies that come true do. Right? Yeah, in fact, you know that, that most scholars w- w- think that that the people during Jesus' time wouldn't have like even the idea of a, of a Messiah who was born of a virgin and then dies oh, yeah. on the cross. That yeah. would have been totally unfamiliar to them. Why would the Messiah to... die on a cross or be born of a virgin? Yeah, it's, the Jews look at at the idea of Jesus and are, are embarrassed that their Messiah would be crushed by the Roman Empire. Like that's right. an insult to them. Retroactive prophecy. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of retroactive prophecy, but it's the story here, though, with the new translation is interesting because it's like they're admitting these facts, and this is the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, right? Catholic but they're not—they're not letting but, go of the virgin birth, right? So they have this claim that's completely unfounded in Scripture, but they're holding on to it. Damn it! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they are acknowledging, uh, in in some small way at least, that this prophecy in Isaiah which is used in Matthew, yeah. right, as an example of yeah. a prophecy of, of the virgin birth. Matthew They're dishonestly saying, pulls it out of context. So yeah. You can't really trust Matthew. He does. He actually does that several times with different prophecies. Right. The suffering servant type thing. Yeah. So I don't know. Is this a big deal? I mean, does this actually mean a change in policy? And this is the, the new American translation, right? Is they translate into drive. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus turns over the the tables at the temple. You jive turkeys <laughs> into seventies. I want to see seventies black exploitation Bible talk. What's <laughs> up, man? Listen if you have ears. So, but I mean, ultimately, what do we think is going to come of this translation? Anything? Um, cries of heresy, <laughs> and that'll be pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> but this is this isn't some weird offshoot. Christian cult. Well, it is a weird well, offshoot we, well, Christian cult. Sh- it's just the biggest one. To be fair, yeah, it's a Catholic translation, so they're not real Christians. That's right. right. That's right. Because they have the Apocrypha too, don't they? So, so Christians yeah. have nothing to worry about. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you can stick with your King James. Yeah. But a hundred years ago, these guys only had Bibles in Latin that basically people weren't allowed to read. Now they have this new American translation, which actually is more true to the original text, at least yeah. in Isaiah, as far as that goes. I'm I'm impressed with this. Yeah. But it, I, I don't know that it's going to make it's, a damn it's bit of difference. It's kind of confusing. Yeah, it is. As a woman in Texas once said, if English was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for our classroom. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a complicated issue. And I think, though, Justin, you're right. What we're going to see more than anything else is, is cries of heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, mistranslations of prophecy and Jesus and so forth, that leads us into this week's Skeptic Sunday School.
In Christian theology, atonement is the process by which us dirty old rotten scummy humans can you know can, be, can become reconciled to God. And there are a few different theories and, and metaphors used to describe how this how this process actually works. Mm-hmm. Most modern Christians accept some form of, of penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, what? Penal substitutionary go, okay. atonement. <laughs> Moving on. Under this theory, sin is not an offense to God necessarily. It's not as though God is offended, but sin is more of a breaking of God's laws, and, and God is uh, a stickler for, for rules. <laughs> and because the wages of sin is death, Jesus takes the wages upon himself. So that's that's how this uh, atonement right, kind of works. Right. Um, so I guess I want to begin by you know, talking about what Christians generally believe about the relationship between the crucifixion of Jesus and the Old Testament sacrifices. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's supposed to take the place of the Old right. Testament sacrifices, Yeah, so, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Christians generally believe that uh, he has fulfilled those Old Testament sacrifices, that they're no longer necessary, mm-hmm. that they were always intended to be temporary. Right. As in, you know, if if the Old Testament really points to Jesus, it must have been known by those Jews that uh, that the animal sacrifices were going to be going on for a time and then you would have the, the Messiah come to, to hmm. take the place of these things, right? Hebrews 10.4 says that, but it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. So this kind of shows, I mean, that's, that's even what they believed is that, uh, you know, those animal sacrifices were not actually adequate to do the job. Right. So you would need Jesus. In John one twenty nine, you know, it says, you know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In First Corinthians, couches Christ in a kind of Passover lamb imagery. So mm-hmm. this this lamb imagery is used all throughout uh, the New Testament. The claim is essentially, the Christian claim, is that Christ, symbolized as a Passover lamb, finishes the Jewish laws for the animal sacrifices. Uh, so let's take a look at what what the Passover is and what the atonement is, according to the Old Testament, and see if this actually makes any kind of sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Hint, it doesn't. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) First of all, Passover takes place in early spring, so it's around like March or April. It's the first um, full moon after the spring equinox. Really? That's, oh. It's a combination of solar and lunar calendars. That's why it's different every year. Okay. Right. You have the spring equinox at uh, March, whatever, 21st, and then whatever the full – if the full moon's the next weekend, that's when it is. If it's another month, that's when it is. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, the The problem here, the, the first one that creeps up, is that uh, the sacrifice, while it is of a lamb, it actually has nothing to do with cleansing oneself of sin. It has to do with the last plague of Egypt. Exodus 12:23 says for the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians but when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame I saw that in the, movie. the Lord will pass <laughs> over your home he will not smoke he will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down so God has a sidekick yes his death angel right yeah. and that's pretty cool that is cool <laughs> so that's that's what this is about. It's about designating in this this large city between the the Israelites and, and mm-hmm. the uh, the Egyptians. It's not about so the continued right. slaughter sacrifice of the lamb is not. It's as kind of a, about the delivering the Jews from yeah. their their captivity. Not not has nothing to do with their sin. Right. But has to do with God getting them to their promised land. Has more to do with the supposed sins of the Egyptians, who, by the way, never actually had Jewish slaves. But that's, a, that's another <laughs> that's story. That's another story. Right. So, yeah, that's what the uh, the Passover is about. Right. And so, you know, let's, let's talk about what, what it actually says about atonement. The Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is done in, in late summer, not early spring, like Passover. So already it's a different completely different time of year. Usually it's in like September, isn't it, or October? Yeah, in the fall. Right, right. So if Jesus is to be sacrificed as the atonement, then it would need to be in late summer. If, not, if he, if he is the perfect, if he is the perfect fulfillment of right. these things, right? And regarding the actual animals that are sacrificed, uh, it's a bull to atone for the priest's sin and the sin of his household. Uh, huh, that's yeah. a lot of bulls these days. <laughs> and one goat for the sins of the nation, and then... <laughs> He does a great goat. 
That's my only impression. <laughs> and and then one other goat uh, to atone for the sins of the people. And they would send this goat out outside the city walls scapegoat. Uh, into the exactly. wilderness. Exactly, to be a scapegoat. And didn't the Greeks do that first? It was It's popular with a lot of the things because of the whole, like, uh, sacri- the whole literal aspect of let's put everything onto a right. victim in- or yeah, animal and, and then send it out. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the Greek ritual for it, but it's you know where we get the term scapegoat right. from. And they would first it was a person that they would send out, and then they would send out. Right, they would actually place goat. their hands on the goat and and, yeah. and, and and transfer these synons, these little sin particles that hide <laughs> on the dirty side of the atoms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a scientific basis. They're like thetans. <laughs> right. So that was the, uh, those are the animals involved. Uh, lastly, I want to uh, read uh, Leviticus 16, 29 through 34 to show what I think is, is one of the, the most significant problems with the uh, relationship between Christ's sacrifice and the the claim that he is a fulfillment of the animal sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and you shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day atonement shall be made to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonements for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever to you. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once a year because of all of their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Now, this should be pretty confusing. Uh, forever, the word forever is used three times mm. within this passage alone. Right. Now, some may object and point out that the New International Version uh, translates, translates this word to lasting. The problem with this, I mean, that's, that's a legitimate criticism. Sure. But the problem is that the NLT, the ESV, the NASB, the God's Word Translation, the KGV, the AKJV, the ASV, the Bible English Translation, the Dawsey Realms, the Darby, the English Revisited, the Webster's, the World English, all translate this to something as forever, for space, ever, or everlasting or permanent. So the NIV is very much alone right. on this point. Well, it's the, it's the new international version. <laughs> Stands to reason. The word is, is olam or olam, and it translates simply to forever. It's, it's, not, it's only an issue when people want to argue against this point. Right. It's not a limited idea. It's something this, – this sacrifice is something right. we're going to have to do. It's a systematic thing yeah. once a year forever. It's very clear. Right. So if sacrificing bulls and goats can cleanse us of all of our sins and allow us to be clean before the Lord, yes. right? I mean this is – what Christ apparently does, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't need Christ to do that, then what is the purpose of his sacrifice? Right. There seems to be no apparent reason other than, I mean, it seems that we don't really need Jesus to clean to clean ourselves before the Lord. If Jesus is a savior of anybody, yeah. he seems to be the savior of livestock. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like a Peter Singer. So uh, this is the, the this liberated. is where the <laughs> this is why Christ's sacrifice really in Christian theology it. It can only be reconciled with an idea that he's just a convenience. Mm. You know, you can keep your you can keep your livestock, right? Because there's an alternate way. It, That's really strange. There's also <laughs> a, because they say that this is something we will do forever. Mm-hmm. Then it doesn't say we will do this until the Messiah comes and right. takes their place. So. What, God changed his mind? Yeah, that's right. Or they just didn't have the idea of a Messiah who was coming to sacrifice You'll often hear people say, well, that was the Old Testament. Christ came and changed the rules. But nowhere – they're so big on prophecy. Nowhere in the Old Testament says specifically that. that, Right. Well, well, these rules are temporary until the Messiah comes. And I think people – a big thing is that we – that Christians – 
now look at it as if that's just the only interpretation of why Jesus had to die is it must have been because they're prepared theologically yeah. that, that it must have been as a sacrifice right. but that wasn't obvious that was only I think in, through the gospel of John that that became articulated the Christology of he's a sacrifice he's, mm. his gospel is the only one that he's on the cross on Passover day mm -hmm. the right, other ones right. he was he was Passover he meal was, he was eating first exactly. yep. and then crucified later and so John's the only one John that articulates this Lamb of God type of thing if you read Mark or Matt or Luke it's just that he died for whatever reason. Right. But even that, you know, like even to the Middle Ages, there's other interpretations. I think like Peter Abelard uh, from France, from Abelard and Heloise fame, his, he was uh, purged because his teaching was that it wasn't a sacrifice that Jesus had to die. It was that it was an example to set that if he can do this and he's not clinging to life, that you can do that too. And, and that it's like those commercials for uh, going back to school. If she can do it, you can do it. That was his. That was his whole theory. If Jesus can be sacrificed on the cross, you can too. But I think that so a lot of this whole the whole thing about that's the only way way to make sense of Christ's death. That's right. a, that's a very one doctrine among many as to why Jesus died. Wow, very true. So uh, so hey guys, I have a trailer out back with a bull and a couple of goats. So if you guys are up for it after the show, a uh, vegetarian. All right, all right. Can I kill a tofurkey? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll kill off some goat cheese. Man, <laughs> give me a bowl of goat cheese. I'll go to town on it. Now to atone for our sins, we bring you God Thinks Like You. Well, actually, I just wanted to brief God Thinks Like You today to mention props to... Well, people who come up with the same ideas that I do. <laughs> Frankly, how self-serving. Good job for you. thinking like Luke. Yeah, hey, there God, was a, God thinks like you, and you think like Luke. Some of so. the listeners might want to go back and recall that uh, I have a some work that's been uh, lately using uh, data on the non-religious people, looking at their mental well-being. And I forget what number of episode it was, but you can find it in the archives where I discuss the study that I did of uh, surveys of our secular humanist members of CFI that showed actually, contrary to what has been discussed earlier, that people, you know, the, the traditional notion of mental health and religion is that the more religion, the better, that you are more mentally healthy if you're highly religious and that the people with the weakest mental health uh, who are the least happy are the people who aren't religious. It, it, isn't that why the military has their spirituality testing too, to no. see how, yeah. how spiritually sturdy you are? Ooh. If you answer some of those questions that you don't have a spiritual framework, well, yeah. that, that shows you as spiritually deficient. But most measures, even if you have legitimate measures like you know satisfaction with your life or uh, a lack of mental health problems, that the people who are, it is true that people who are strongly religious report better mental health and satisfaction than people who are weekly religious. Mm -hmm. But when you unpack that, what my study found was that the uh, the people, it, when you extend that all the way out and distinguish the people who are weak, unsure, uh, fence-sitting yeah. from the people who are completely non-religious, the stone-cold atheists, that actually the relationship is a curve. That you have, yes, people who are highly religious are happier than the weekly religious, but so are people who are highly non-religious mm. happier than the weekly religious. It forms a curve. Well, there was actually a study that came out this year from a different group of researchers. This is Daniel Moshan, Michael Norton, and Don Ariely. Some people might remember Don Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational. Mm. It was a bestseller. But the, uh, the, uh, they published in a journal, Social Indicators or Indices Research, that showed essentially the same thing. They had a large sample of people, all the way from highly religious through moderately, weakly religious, and then stone-cold atheists. Mm -hmm. And they, again, they found a curved relationship that the people who uh, – and they actually took it a step further in which they recommend specifically, which I thought was kind of cheeky. They said that um, – and this is unusual for a scientific study. They might be happier – those with low levels of religiosity might be happier if they stop believing altogether. <laughs> Were we to place our own children in it's the nice. distribution of religiosity, the option with the highest expected well-being would entail – rolling them and encouraging them to believe strongly. And they go on to say, were we not certain that our children would attain sufficient levels of belief, however, we might prefer them to remain unaffiliated. <laughs> nice. Which I so think it was all or nothing, pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're a member of, they're basically saying if you're a member of a denomination or nominally religious, if you just don't feel it's working for you, you're not into it, cut the ties. 
Drop it. It's easier yeah. just to become non-religious completely. So, yeah, I think that uh, what it's interesting. This sort of uh, – there seems to be a zeitgeist in including now more and more uh, studies of – a complete differentiation between people mm-hmm. who are completely non-religious from those that maybe are just unaffiliated or the those agnostic or the agnostics. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, interesting. Now, we also had a question that came in for you about terror management theory, which is one of your favorite topics of discussion. Well, the listener wanted to know uh, that, if you recall, in the terror management theory, that this theory is uh, based on the writings of Ernest Becker that suggests that when we feel our sense of uh, mortality is made more salient, that is, if I think about my impending death, that uh, we tend to cling more tightly to worldviews and our self-esteem is protected by bolstering those worldviews. In other words, the theory states that worldviews such as nationalism or, uh, mm. or family or apple pie or, for most people, religion, right. those are things that make sense out of their life and structure their existence and that they extend their – they support their self-esteem in the face of annihilation. Yes, I might die, but I have my God, my country, my beliefs. And so this has been supported through research that suggests that when you p- – poke at people's worldviews by maybe suggesting that they're not valid or, you know, maybe God isn't real or maybe your country isn't the best country, people's fears of death actually increase. Right. And that they become, oh, it's an oh crap reaction. Uh, I'm going to die someday. If this thing isn't true, hmm. that makes me anxious. And hmm. then the uh, the flip side is that when you remind people of their death, they bolster those worldviews and believe them, yes, 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 right. I'm going right. to live forever. The listener wants to know, though, whether it works in the opposite direction, that rather than threatening mortality, if you give somebody a notion that they're immortal, perhaps by uh, uh. things like, you know, your consciousness will live on in a computer someday or that you're not, you know, not going to die, whether that has the opposite effect of making them less defensive about their worldview. Okay. Mm, that's a good question. Yes. That is that is not a question I would have ever come up with. And it's also relevant because many people view religions as being immortality uh, salience things. That is, right. they reassure right. people, well, your body might die, but you won't. Your yes. soul, your conscience, whoever makes you, you will live on, so relax. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there, are, there have been a couple of studies that have looked at that. One of the... Um, Studies actually used an immortality salience by talking about near-death experiences. They had subjects read an article about the commonalities of various near-death experiences where you see a white light or, Mm. you know, you walk towards the light. And the the article said, hmm, this seems like evidence that maybe there's something beyond. And it turns out that when you administer people or have them read this article and then later on ask them to write that standard death essay when I die, they actually – react less. That is, the, the usual bolstering of self-esteem that hmm. happens, happens less when you first prime people with immortality. Hmm. So it does act as sort of a, um, immortality can act as a sort of band-aid that protects people against impending death threats, that they feel less uh, less compelled to defend their worldviews. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So they're, they're less, not only are they less scared of death, and correct me if I'm understanding this wrong, they're less scared of death they're also less defensive about yes. their positions about death. The way that the article puts it is that um, <clears throat> that when participants are exposed to compelling arguments that life continues in some form after death, the effect of the mortality salience on their self-esteem striving, in other words, they're, they're striving to maintain, no, 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 I'm worthwhile, right. Right. Uh, is, uh, was eliminated. Wow. That's interesting. That is interesting. So some people have actually used that to, I think, goes a little bit far. That They've used that to suggest that religion is a good thing because it causes people to chill out and not worry about dying. Clearly, that is the case. <laughs> the problem is, though, is that for, for uh, as we would imagine, it, there's a lot of ifs and what have yous with that. For example, mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't have, like we, probably don't have a, a view in that we're going to be immortal, that sort of thing would be lost on us. It wouldn't cause us to, to right. do anything. Right. The other thing is that, yeah, it might for some religious people provide them a sense of self-esteem buffer, but we also have a lot of other terror management studies that show that mortality salience causes people to uh, do all kinds of nasty things to people who challenge their worldview. Right, right, right. So if you're a different religion than me, I'm going to get – that's going to also cause my death, uh, my mortality salience to increase because, well, we both can't be right. Right, exactly. 
beat you up to become more comfortable in my worldview. Yeah, the one thing that that probably that we that would reduce these things is that is to bolster somebody's self-esteem. Is that if you cause people to have a sense of of well-being in other ways, they're less wigged out about mortality things. If you make them feel like a worthwhile person for other reasons other than something that has the capability to have an in-group bias. In other words, that oh, yours. Mm-hmm. If we're all humans, we're all in this together, and you're a worthwhile person without priming their sense of I'm a Christian, you're a Jew, or I'm a Muslim, you're right. not, that right. if you just say we're all humans and we're in this together, that that uh, is sufficient to make give people a sense of self-esteem that's not dependent on differences from other people. Hmm. Humanism. Huh. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Huh. Let's move on to some polyatheism, shall we? This time around, we're not actually talking about a god, but a titan. What is that? Well, according to Greek mythology, the titans were the race of powerful giants born into the world the generation before the gods. I saw that movie. It was Remember the Titans, yeah. and they're big football guys. Oh, See? those yeah, guys. Exactly. Okay, so way cooler than gods. And, and they wear clothes that doesn't go together. It's the clash of the titans. Mm. Not wearing, You're not going out with that toga. <laughs> <laughs> not with those sandals. So, in a way, they're, they're kind of the godfathers. Right, with, uh, with a fashion sense. With a fashion sense, <laughs> That's yes. nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the titan in question today is the ever-popular Prometheus. While most of the titans were pretty simple-minded fellows, Prometheus was the original leader of the Enlightenment. Unlike his world-lifting brother Atlas or Epimetheus, his brother whose hindsight was twenty twenty. Prometheus, whose name literally means forethought, saved humanity on a couple of occasions. He's unbound, so he was into bondage? Or? Uh, many of our <laughs> listeners are probably familiar with the story of Prometheus tricking the god Zeus to steal fire from the gods and bestow it on humanity, a trick which he paid dearly for and for which humanity is forever in his debt. Or at least we would be if it weren't, you know, a myth. Don't ruin it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For his crime against the Sky King, Prometheus was chained to a rock where every day the eagle of Zeus descended upon him and ate his liver. Hmm. I thought oh. they plucked his eyes. No. Was his liver? No. I'm so confused how he can be a rock and have a liver and eyes in the first place. No, he was he chained, chained to, to a rock. rock. Oh, oh. Not changed. Chained. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> he was chained to a rock. And every day, his liver grew back so that it could be pecked out again the next day. That's pretty sweet. Why his liver, you ask? And here's my theory. Because he was an alcoholic. He's a drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because the eagle was trying to get to his gallbladder because of Prometheus's gall at attempting to thwart the gods. <laughs> okay. But in cool. order to eat the gallbladder, he had to eat the liver first, and by the time he finished the liver, he was all full, and every day the eagle would think to himself, well, at any rate, that's out of the way, and I can get the gall tomorrow to make this ironic punishment complete. Joke's on him, of course, because of Prometheus's immortality. Uh, his liver regenerated every day, kind of like Wolverine. Okay. Yeah, I know. Snicked. We could be, feel sympathy for Prometheus, but what about the eagle having to get up every freaking day to go eat the same liver? Routine, I know. Routine. So, <sighs> Back so to the liver. eagles are not very spontaneous. I wonder if I wonder if he got seasoning. You know, because I could have the same thing a few days in a row if I had. You know, hey Prometheus, different sauce. It's like Groundhog Day. How's it going? Yeah. How's the liver today? <laughs> same. same Kills old. himself at the Thanks end of the day. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. See you tomorrow. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> now, uh, according to the poet Hesiod, Zeus also punished humanity by sending the first woman, a beautiful woman by the name of Pandora, who, Eve-like, is responsible for letting all evils loose upon humanity. Pandora's box. Which is actually a jar. Oh. And it doesn't roll off the tongue like No, it doesn't. Pandora's, Pandora's, jar. Pandora's jar. Or it was a Ziploc bag with like a yellow and blue <laughs> yeah, green yeah. seal. Pandora's gift bag. <laughs> Uh, Suffice it to say, Hesiod was a bit of a chauvinist and very much an establishment kind of guy. So any betrayal of the gods was about the worst thing you could do. 
therefore humanity gets punished for Prometheus's betrayal of the gods. Um, so usually that's used – that myth is used as an um, example of where humanity has the uppityness to actually want knowledge from the gods and we're punished for that all the time oh, by, by having the – like you see that torch, right? Absolutely. Isn't, isn't that what Prometheus gave Absolutely. us? Absolutely. Is that like the CFI torch? Is that a, yeah, a it, Prometheus well, Yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. Oh, I was just shooting from the hip. Oh, you're, 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 you're right on. Um, in – Aeschylus is writing. Um, he takes on the story in Prometheus Bound, which is his S&M play. He's much more sympathetic to Prometheus and reveals that Prometheus was crucial in helping Zeus and the other gods gain their power in the universe in the first place. He tricked the other titans so that Zeus and his brothers and sisters could take place in, in charge of the universe. Does he spend the whole play bound to a rock, though? Because as an actor, you yeah. don't have a lot of latitude. No, it's, it's, it's a stretch. Hey, I hung upside down for an entire role in a play once. Um, Jeez. So his punishment of the, the liver eating is really harsh, given that he was kind of instrumental in making Zeus the king of the gods in the first place. Right. So it seems kind of unfair. Um, Aeschylus also makes it clear that Prometheus's gift of fire to humanity was much more important than just a way to make burnt offerings to the gods. By giving humans fire, Prometheus gave them the means to make tools, to cook, and ultimately the means of creating a civilization. It's a literal symbol of enlightenment. Hmm. Just like in the Garden of Eden story that we said we pay a price for having a tree of knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. Right, which was right. which was placed right in the middle of the garden. You knew humanity yes. was contributory right. negligence just, just <laughs> screams here for So Prometheus is is responsible for humanity assuming its role as the paragon of animals. Um, his fire is what separates humans from all of the other animals because he loved humans best, so he gave them the best gift. Of course, that wasn't the only time that Prometheus helped out people. Um, even while the eagle ate out his, his liver, he managed to save humans from a worldwide flood. Yes, another one. <laughs> but he ultimately gained his freedom by warning Zeus not to have sex with a particular sea nymph named Thetis. Normally, you wouldn't think blocking Zeus's extramarital affairs would win you any favor with him, but Thetis was destined to give birth to the warrior Achilles. And if Zeus had been his father, Achilles would have been strong enough to defeat Zeus himself. So by warning Zeus not to sleep with Thetis, Prometheus prevented Zeus's overthrow, which is enough to, for Zeus to say... Hey, thanks, buddy. I'll let you loose. That gift of forethought really comes in handy oh. sometimes. Hmm. And, of course, the Greeks didn't really understand genetics very well. I guess. We, we, always, <laughs> we all need a wingman to tell us who not to sleep with at, yeah, some, exactly. point, at some point in our lives. We all need someone to say, buddy, Dude, let this one go. Go after that bowl or something and say, you know, it's not like Zeus was hurting for things to have sex with. So... Prometheus is friend to both God and man, and his legacy lives on today. You can see him bringing fire to humanity outside Rockefeller Center in New York City, or if you don't live in New York City, in the opening credits of 30 Rock on NBC. Or you can buy books from Prometheus Press, a company which also seeks to enlighten the world through free-thinking publications. I thought they wanted us to burn them with a torch. Maybe I'm misinterpreting <laughs> that symbol. Yeah, I... It's Burn our product. Yeah. In a nutshell, that is Prometheus, just one more god or titan worth not believing in. That's all for this week. Until next time, send us your comments, questions, challenges, gripes, and suggestions to doubtcast at gmail.com. Come and join in the discussion on our forum at doubtcast.forummotion.net. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at slash doubtcast. And you can go to our store at Zazzle.com slash Doubtcast to pick up some Doubtcast swag. Uh, if you like the show, please write us a nice review on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you use. Also, you still have a chance to vote for us in as the best atheist slash agnostic podcast on About.com. The link is on our blog and on our Facebook page. Voting ends March Eight. We're in second place. So we're in second place. We have, we have been um, creeping up steadily. Yep. So who's in first place? Atheist experience still. Also still a great strong. show. But we yeah, also very good show. 
Um, but we're we've got about a quarter of the votes ourselves right now. So keep voting. Um, you're listening to this episode the day it comes out. Um, you've got about a day to get votes in. So mm-hmm. please, after you listen to this, log right on and cast your vote. And if you can find extra computers, use those too. Now, I'm, I'm not saying cheat. I'm just <laughs> saying be an opportunist. <laughs> so go to your public library, use each computer once, <laughs> once and only once to vote, and move on to the next. There you go. Get creative. Uh, that's right. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission. I just know you will not. Did you see the dude who made me a God Thinks Like You visual logo? Yeah. Although, where's my name? It's just L and G. <laughs> I hate to be – I mean, thanks. Thanks, you know. And I hate to quibble with that. But the I other wanted, one I th- Dr. Professor, that could be anybody. <laughs> what if you get your PhD? You're gonna be, you're, it could be you too. So – Oh. Thanks, fans, for – Yeah, thank, thanks to John for sending us a – God thinks like you logo. He says he's going to work on logos for some of the other segments too, but he's busy, I believe, working on his doctorate right now. No <laughs> excuses. Like, no cow. excuses. I thought this kind of smelled like a, a uh, rationalizing activity to when you should be doing something else. <laughs> like when I when I was working on my dissertation, that house was spotless because I'd be, oh, the toilet needs cleaning today again. Yeah.